Hey everyone, I'm Simba Kader and you're listening to the MLOps Weekly Podcast. Today I'm chatting with Sam Parti, Principal Applied AI Engineer at Redis. Prior to Redis, he worked at HP Enterprise where he worked on some of the foundations of MLOps tooling for high-performance computing. Sam, I'm super stoked to have you on the show today. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. So it'd be great to give some context to the audience. How you got into MLOps? Oh, that's a great question because actually even machine learning wasn't the field I started in. It was high-performance computing at Cray. And originally, I started working on a parallel programming language called Chapel. That parallel programming language, uh, I actually built a package manager for, which is kind of how my love of tools began. And I was lucky enough to be able to join a newly forming AI team right after working on that language. And on that team, we did distributed training and inference, really the prior stages of the ML lifecycle. So we worked on things like feature selection, hyperparameter optimization, um, getting tools like Dask and Ray to run on supercomputers. And in HPC tooling, everybody's sort of their own sysadmin too. You know, there's not a lot of support for the type of cluster and supercomputer systems, um, with a few exceptions in the MLOps space. Some tools like Run.ai have uh, you know, tried to corner that. But I'm also a bit of a hobbyist. You know, I, I've, I've built my own systems and I've deployed Slurm and Kubernetes and MLflow on my own systems to run my own Jupyter workflows. So a bit of a hobbyist. But right after that AI team formed, I had the opportunity to start Cray Labs, which is an open source organization within HPE. It focused on the applications of deep learning to numerical simulations. The main product was SmartSim and Smart Redis, uh, which is how it was exposed to Redis. Essentially, the product uh, was built to enable distributed simulations in C, C++, and Fortran to use Redis as an online feature store, and as well, use Redis AI as an inference-serving engine. The whole point was essentially it allowed these really large distributed MPI simulations in Fortran and C, uh, languages that traditionally don't have great access to the type of MLOps tooling that we have in Python or other languages, and let them call PyTorch, TensorFlow, and Onyx with a simple API. That culminated in a Journal of Computational Science paper with the National Center of Atmospheric Research, which is a really invigorating read if you get the chance. But uh, shortly after, because of that exposure to Redis, I was able to then join uh, the Determined AI team and work on some distributed training and experimentation for ML, which once again was that kind of front end of the MLOps lifecycle which is really the focus at HPE. And then because of that exposure to Redis, uh, ended up working for Redis and started getting exposed to the other side of the MLOps lifecycle. So kind of long-winded wrap up to that explanation. I, I started in HPC, which exposed me to AI. Uh, using AI on those platforms made me realize the need for MLOps because of the lack of support in HPC. And then fell in love with Redis and the module ecosystem and ended up working for them. That's awesome. So you can officially say that you are one of the very few people in the world who uh, have actually built MLOps tool for Fortran. <laughs> uh, yes, I am. And <laughs> I can say that proudly. <laughs> <laughs> well, going into that, like, I mean, going from like Fortran, C, kind of like that world in HP to now in Redis, where you know, Redis is used all over from, I guess, very tech forward companies to to kind of literally everywhere. How has your perspective on MLOps changed? Well, it's really interesting. So at HPE, it was more, like I said, the front end of the life cycle. So experimentation with platforms like Determined AI or distributed training, you know, you can think of frameworks like Horovod or, you know, we were 
doing distributed HPO and trying to come up with new algorithms to do HPO more efficiently across, you know, let's say 100 nodes where each node has a 48 core CPU and four V100s. So scheduling all of that and job scheduling and working with workflow managers like Slurm and Kubernetes, doing all of that side of things, it's much less about the production aspect of machine learning. It's much more about the experimentation phase, the data loading, the distributed training. And those, you know, it's the, that side, you don't necessarily have to utilize machine learning in production to be able to do or benefit from. The other side, which I would say is more so the de, you know, deployment data ETL side of things, that's really what I've found at Redis and also, and partly in the SmartSim work that I did where we used it as an online feature store, I was exposed to that there. And so from HP to Redis, I've been able to kind of transition from that experimentation phase and deep, you know, distributed deep learning over to really using machine learning in production and finding out ways to use it more efficiently. That's really interesting. It's almost like a lot of focus, even in the tooling, has moved from training towards production, just as people have. Yeah, totally agree. Taking stuff back, like how would you, because MLOPS means so many different things. We talk about experimentation, we talk about production, and there's, I'm sure, many, many other kind of slices that all fit into MLOPS. How would you define MLOPS? Yeah, so this one's interesting. Kind of like I was saying, it, it goes in stages, you could say. It's like, Data operations, which I would consider to be like processing, cleaning, analysis, feature extraction, engineering, etc. Then the experimentation, so training, model selection, testing. Then deployment, inference, feature storage, monitoring. And then data ETL, which kind of glues them all together, which are the APIs for the ingest, storage, and retrieval at any of those stages. And well, even though I said stages, it's more like nodes in a graph because at any stage or node, you could need to go back to a prior stage or, you know, advance to a new stage and do any of those stages, you know, multiple times in parallel with different data sets. And all of that needs to be systematically monitored, scheduled, tracked. And that process regularly has to be examined with a fine-tooth comb. And here's my definition. What I would consider MLOps to be is the study of maintaining many of those such graphs to better achieve some type of business value from the utilization of machine learning, usually within some type of team or organization over time. And so kind of breaking that down, there's not a team that's putting machine learning into production that's just putting one machine learning model in production. So that's when I say many of those graphs, that's kind of what I mean. You need the tooling to be able to deploy many models at a time, test many variants of those models across different groupings of your users, track those systematically, and regularly examine them and have the tooling and the you know, systematic process to be able to actually examine the data that's coming out of that process. And then again, with a team organization, when I was working with Determined AI, I got exposed to that team mentality where you don't necessarily, it's, it's much harder to have business value come out of machine learning in the team organization if your platform doesn't encompass that team, if everybody's siloed in their own area, doing their own thing, it's much harder to drive business value from actually deploying machine learning because you're going to lose a lot of your learnings in the process. And so lastly, over time is another thing because it's MLOps really only rears its head and its need when you do something again and again and again 
because like I said, that process needs to be iterated on and improved. And if you don't have the tools to track it, it becomes wildly unmaintainable endeavor. Yeah, I have kind of a similar view. I've always said that MLOps is about workflows. It's not about specific parts of, a lot of people think of MLOps, I think as, as infrastructure. Like, oh, I need this thing, this is MLOps. But MLOps to me, sure, it requires infrastructure, it has to be nice of infrastructure, but it's more of a workflow problem. We just need a way to, you mentioned the DAG idea of having that, that connected graph, but the DAG is, is just one of many workflows. Every company has different workflows, every models, like a computer vision model, how you kind of work with that is going to look completely different. Beyond the actual like algorithms you use, even just like how you label, how like problems that can occur in production, how you monitor, everything just looks different. And so you need, and if you're, you know, huge company like HP or something versus you are maybe a dozen data scientists at some fintech company, it's just completely like governance, all these other things come in, it's all workflows. And your MLOP stack is almost a way to like solidify what workflow is. Absolutely. The infrastructure is the nodes of those graphs. And then, you know, MLOps, like I like to say, is the, is the abstraction on top of all of those edges and nodes and maintaining many of them. Just like you said, you're going to have more than one workflow. You talked a bit about like at HP, you're talking about training kind of the front end of the process. And then now at Redis, you kind of move towards towards the other side. You also just mentioned how like the MLOps is an abstraction over the, the nodes, the infrastructure. How do you think about experimentation versus production and MLOps tooling? Like how does it all kind of, I guess, what does a perfect MLOps workflow look like? Like how does it all come together? Well, I can't say for certain what a perfect MLOps workflow looks like because I think the field in general is still figuring it out. I feel like every year the MLOps space changes quite a bit, but there is a bifurcation of these kind of point solutions versus these kind of more encompassing platforms. and. I think it's interesting, depending on the size of your team, just like you were saying, you know, you could have a team of data scientists that, you know, say like at HP, where there's so many employees and there's so many teams and so many groups doing so many different applications that it's, uh, it's really hard to get everybody on the same platform. So you might end up using more point solutions or specific platform for a specific problem because you can afford to build solutions around it with your team. You can afford to say, oh, we can take on this component and build our own version and maintain that over time because we have the engineers to do so. Whereas I think smaller teams or smaller companies, you know, thinking about like uh, the work on Determined here for the experimentation side, it's much more different because you have to have more of those features baked in because you're not going to be able to build everything yourself. And I do actually think that's one of the biggest mistakes I see in the MLOps space is on the onset, sub 10, 20 engineer teams trying to go out and say, oh, we're going to build this entire stack ourselves. And really, that might have been the case. You might have needed, might have needed to do that five years ago. But today, there's already so many solutions, especially in open source, that you can readily build on or benefit from or learn from to make your own product or you know, use their product. And I think that that's one of the probably biggest mistakes I see today, but kind of bringing that back to the experimentation side of things, it is really something that I see smaller teams benefiting from more in that process being encapsulated on a single platform, as opposed to kind of building around a number of point solutions, which I think is really only possible if you know, you're 
company or you know, your team is quite quite large. Yeah, that's that's super interesting. I guess I'm now thinking about Redis. You mentioned like point solutions versus platforms. How does Redis fit into the MLOps stack? And I know that Redis has been releasing a lot of the new functionality around the ML use cases. I'm really curious to hear one, what you've built, what's coming out soon, and two, like what the long-term vision is for Redis and the MLOps stack. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things I love about Redis is that it's used everywhere. So you know, job scheduling, celery, airflow, task brokering, training as a parameter store, of course, inference for you know uh, Redis AI for model storage, but mostly today in the MLOps lifecycle, Redis is being used as an online feature store. And so what I mean by that, for those of you who are unfamiliar with online versus offline storage, online feature storage would be when you have the need for low latency retrieval of data for a production model that's been deployed for some service or application. Whereas offline is the data that may be sitting in an S3 bucket or you know even on file or Lustre or what have you, which you're using for some training or experimentation process or feature selection or EDA. And the reason Redis is really equipped to be an online feature store is because of what's on paper. Performance, sub-millisecond latencies. You can run latency-critical workloads, which just aren't possible with a lot of the other managed database solutions presented by cloud vendors. Scale. With Redis Enterprise, you also get Redis on Flash. And when you have the ability to also use Flash in addition to the in-memory database, you don't lose a lot of the latency and you gain massive scale. Personally, I've stored terabytes up to petabytes of simulation data in a single Redis cluster deployment. And so it's really scalable when it comes to data size and also total cost of ownership. And what's also really beneficial about being open source and being Redis is that if you don't have the engineers to manage maintaining your own Redis open source cluster, you just go sign up on TechTime and they'll manage one for you or any number of the open source or you know, managed feature services that are out there that are building on top of Redis because of what's on paper. What's interesting to me though is what's not on paper. And this is the reason I personally, as a developer, really like working for Redis, is the ecosystem, the feature forms, the feasts, the, the client libraries in 30 plus different languages. It's probably already in your stack as a cache, so you're not adding it as a dependency the number of developers that are available to hire because they're familiar with Redis because of one other job that they've already done. And no cloud lock-in, no hardware lock-in. It works just about anywhere. But all of those things are building towards this new vision that we have for what we're rolling out in the MLOps space, particularly with the addition of Redis Stack. If you haven't heard of Redis Stack, it's essentially letting you try out some of the features of Redis Enterprise in the module system without really even using it. You can just download the Docker container. I actually just made a demo with it. But it allows you to start integrating those third-party solutions to the module ecosystem, which is just really beneficial. You're talking about Redis Bloom for Bloom filters, time series for time series data, Redis AI for model storage and inference with PyTorch, TensorFlow, or Onyx, which is the one I used back at uh, HPE. Redis JSON and Redis Search are also two incredibly popular ones. Redis JSON essentially turns Redis into a document database. And with the OM clients for object management, you can use really popular frameworks like FastAPI and Pydantic to be able to store and retrieve your data from Redis in, in that kind of nice SQL alchemy-like way. And a lot of developers really like that experience, and that's what we're hammering home over the next few uh, you know, releases is 
is that kind of vision for the module ecosystem. But what I mentioned last is the one I'm most excited about, which is Redis Search and the search capabilities. The vector search capability that's coming out in Redis Search, it's actually public preview right now, but essentially it's an online storage format for vectors. And if you're not familiar with vector embeddings, essentially vector embeddings allow you to take some piece of unstructured data and turn them into uh, you know, some, uh, let's say, basically just a, a list of numbers really at the end of the day. 512 byte vector that you create with models like hug and face transformers if you're using text data, sentence transformers. And what they allow you to do is compare those vectors, store and compare those vectors in an index database, traditionally called a vector database. But with Redis Search, essentially Redis becomes that vector database. And it requires no extra third-party solution, no extra dependencies in your workflow, and it comes with the whole open source gauntlet of support that Redis does. And really all we did is add those indexing storage types to Redis. And, you know, we have two different index methods, brute force and uh, HSMW. But it's a, a massive benefit for the utilization of unstructured data. And in general, that's one of my favorite areas that was really becoming popular in machine learning because there's so much unstructured data that's out there that we haven't necessarily always benefited from because it's not in a tabular data format, um, it doesn't fit into Excel, and you know, data analysts that aren't engineers can't uh, benefit from them. Well, unstructured data brings us this opportunity to have a data format that uh, we can present interfaces on top of that really allow for non-technical people to benefit from massive amounts of unstructured data. And I think that's a really interesting emerging area of ML ops. Yeah, it's, it's so fascinating to watch all these different spaces and different kind of use cases. I mean, a vector database is something that I've probably had to build or hack together really like probably five times in my career already when we open sourced like a little thing in the space. And it was funny, even with the first release, which was very like hacky, like people were like, oh, thank God, like I've built this like a hundred times. So I'm really excited to see Redis has kind of built something built into, I guess, built into Redis. And it gets to the next thing I want to talk about, which is you mentioned, you already touched before on platform versus best in class. And Redis is interesting because when you talk about like online stores and, and features like Redis kind of looks like a best in class style point solution. Well, all of the things you've mentioned adding kind of turn it into a data platform again. I'm curious to learn more about how you think the space will evolve in this platform versus best-in-class solution way and how you even think about one MLOPS platform versus kind of uh, connecting maybe like a dozen best-in-class MLOPS solutions. When does one make sense? When does ever make sense? How will it look like in the future? Will all be platforms? Will all be best-in-class point solutions, will they coexist? I'm just curious to, to hear how you think about that. Yeah, so, uh, you know, basically what's changed over the last couple of years in this, in this bifurcation of point solutions and platforms is that people actually started using machine learning and in production and driving business value from it. When that happens, there's a margin that companies, MLOps companies, can make from optimizing the ways in which other companies utilize and benefit from machine learning, hence the creation of MLOps companies. If that business wasn't there, MLOps companies wouldn't exist. And the thing is, what's happening is that these MLOps companies are also targeting smaller companies that can't do everything themselves. And so that's why you see both point solutions and platforms succeeding in the market is because there's such a breadth of companies that are benefiting from ML 
that really there's so many different needs because of the different company sizes that are out there. And I don't think this is slowing down. I don't also think that one is going to win out over another. I think there's always going to be smaller companies and there's always going to be larger companies. And the truth is, is that both point solutions and platforms have a place in that market, especially if it keeps expanding, which we all know the TAM for this kind of market is going up. And so I do think that there will be winners and losers. I'm not saying that, but I think that there will always be a place for both types of solutions. Speaking about Redis, because obviously I know it well, is that Redis on one side can be your point solution. If you want to build your ecosystem around the bare bones of open source key value store, you can do so. If you want more of a platform, you can plug in nine different modules and make it do exactly what you want to. And then it's your data platform. It can, it can be your durable database if you want to. And so that is how I see a lot of these point solutions actually evolving, is that they will grow to outpace their own market that they've been successful in. And some of them will adapt and grow their feature set to the point where they can then become the platform. But I do think that some of them will stay that point solution and most likely succeed for a short amount of time until some better point solution becomes best in class. But I think both are around to stay for quite some time. More specifically, what is MLOS space in your mind? I mean, no one really knows, but I'm curious your perspective. How will it look in, let's say, three years, three or four years? How will it have changed? What do you think will be different? I do think that there will be more options that are affordable. That's the first thing. So there's a lot of things today that if you want the enterprise version of, uh, you know, take determined or, you know, any of these hosted services, you really need a reason or, you know, like a system that is you know, quite out of the reach of some smaller companies. And I think there's also a, it's interesting, a, a few different players in this space, I think, makes sense to grow a lot more over the next three to four years. And I think there are roadmaps that I can see ahead of them that are very clear. Like for instance, Hugging Face. I think they're making a really, really smart choice to basically become the GitHub of models. It's never been easier to pull down a pre-trained model and benefit from it. That is going to continue. I do know that, or I do believe that I should say. I do believe that the open source push in MLOps will continue. More and more people are finding out ways to benefit from their product being open source and having integrations readily available because those APIs are available to other users. And an example like Hugging Face really shows you where that succeeds. Being able to use your Hugging Face model in an instant, benefit from it, at some point, you're going to end up giving Hugging Face some money. Somewhere down the road, you're going to end up giving them some money if you keep using it, because either that or their business value isn't there, but, uh, or business plan, I should say. But no, that's something I do believe is that especially those companies that are building communities around their product, especially like the Model Hub or Repo or providing spaces for people to have discussions, that is really that stickiness factor that keeps companies around. And I believe those companies are doing the right things. With the ones with the really large open source ecosystems with lots of developers, they just don't go away. So I can tell you that I do believe those companies will stick around in the next three years. From a broader perspective, though, kind of backing out, 
I do think the MLOP space is definitely right now, there's lots of different tools that are trying to do a lot of different things. Some of them will become irrelevant because of the advent of new technologies. There will be, say, for example, that an exceptional model comes out that never drifts. I know this is kind of wild to say, but say that some researcher comes up with an idea that is a better version of XGBoost, and no matter what, it doesn't need active learning, it never drifts, it's, it's almost perfect. Well, every model monitoring company takes a hit at that point. And that's just how quickly, and even though it's kind of a silly example, every one of these companies still has exposure to that kind of research coming out. And I do think that machine learning moves at that pace. I mean, the deluge of papers that I get into my news feed every morning that I'm trying to keep up with is just astounding. So I think that's the other side of things that I'd like to point out from a kind of higher level is that this research moves really fast. And that some companies will find it hard to live in that world after that research comes out. Yeah, it's really interesting you mentioned that. I mean, one thing we've seen is we release support for embeddings and vector search. So beyond even just like doing the actual storage of it, just giving you the API in the feature store so that you can actually do a nearest neighbor lookup. And that's been a huge thing because embeddings are just becoming... When We used to do embeddings at my, at my last company for recommendations. And then it was very, very unusual to see people actually putting embeddings into production, especially outside of NLP. And nowadays, it's like everywhere. And there's even like arguments of in the future, like most architectures will look that way at big companies, especially that have the expertise and the scale of data to be able to pull that off. And that changes the whole ecosystem around it, right? Like vector databases probably weren't a huge problem or something that could be a big thing, say, five years ago. But now it's like, yeah, there was no embeddings. Like, what do I, like where do I store in this? Like, I can just, you know. But now it's critical. I mean, even back then, like having Annoy or all those libraries was plenty. And now it's like, yeah, they're just indexes. We need a whole database around it. And it is a really interesting space. It's because of that ease of use that people are starting to use it now. I mean that you can take any text blob and a hugging face model and be like, oh, I have an embedding now that I can compare to the other thousands of embeddings in my data set and provide you some you know, similar piece of text for document retrieval or information retrieval. And every year at NURBS, there's 30 more use cases that come out for that kind of unstructured data. So it's really interesting to see the need for those vector databases kind of grow. Yeah, and it's been interesting to watch. I mean, obviously, Redis has, has been kind of a critical open source project for a long time now. And watching the ecosystem move from, I mean, the early MLOPS companies were almost all proprietary and having trouble even thinking of any that weren't. And nowadays, there's just so many open source products coming out, which is great and for the ecosystem, um, I think. And yeah, I, I can definitely see how in the future, I mean, people like open source because it's, it's almost freemium for engineers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good way of putting it. And it's like, I own it, I own the data, like sure, I have to do more work, but I know I can keep using it for free forever. And if I have budget and, you know, this product is critical to us and, you know, this functionality that we need, that's on the open core we need, you know, we'll pay for it. So yeah, it's, it's very interesting and it'll be very interesting to watch all this play out. What are you most excited for? I mean, you mentioned quite a few things that you're excited about, but if you had to like narrow it down to like, hey, like this is something I'm most excited about right now in MLOS, what would it be? It's funny. I was looking at uh, the feature form website and the, uh, on the website, the, there's a, a line that says, 
the days of untitled 128.ipy notebook are over. And as someone who is getting into this field over five, six years ago from working on HPC, I'm really excited that that's over. <laughs> Honestly, it's um, when I put together this, uh, I put together this vector similarity demo. It's actually on GitHub. Um, it basically uses some pieces of Redis to do visual and semantic embedding search or similarity, I should say. And it was so much easier <laughs> than I thought it would be. Just the amount of products that can be produced, the amount of models that can be deployed, the process is so much easier than it used to be. You no longer have to save 128 iPi notebooks. They can be versioned and managed for you. I'm really excited about that. Just from a general sense, like the easier this gets, the better everyone, not just engineers, the better everyone's life becomes because the better products we can produce. And I, I am really excited about that just from a high level. But that is my one of my favorite things that is going on right now. But like you said, also, it's the open source component. And I think that has some different components too. People are really buying into the open source ecosystem for machine learning. It gives you that like kind of trial API sense that we were talking about. But it's also something that it leads to kind of greater productivity because you can check out how it works. You can look into it. You can modify it if you need to and suggest, you know, a PR. You can make something work with your system because you can integrate it before you even decide to spend a penny on it. And that is something that I think is really beneficial. And I'm really glad that a lot of companies are really embodying that kind of open source push. But then, you know, last thing is something we've, we've we already talked about, which is vector embeddings. There's never been more unstructured data and better methods to utilize that unstructured data than right now. And every second that we keep going, it gets better and better. And I'm just really excited to see what the space looks like in, you know, come year, two years time. Yeah, I'm also super interested to get to see some of these demos you've talked about. I'll, I'll get some of the links from you so we can link them um, in the description. I think that will be, I'm sure a lot of listeners would love to, to play around with some of what you're talking about. Untitled iPi notebook thing <laughs> is definitely something I, I, I mean, we, I've even like, been in funnier situations where like it's like hey there's this google doc where like you just copy and paste sql snippets from like i've seen a lot of different things these are big companies doing this like companies that we would oh, yeah. see as like oh these companies are so technical they're just you know so good at all this and it's like yeah but they use excel to like keep track of things then we use google docs to like keep your sql snippets in different teams so there's a lot of work to be done there's a lot of work to be done. And I think people who are really deep in MLOP space, I think sometimes like, oh, there's just so many tools. Everyone knows about MLOPs. I went to a Fortune 500 that talked to a principal ML engineer, and he had just kind of learned about the term MLOPs not that long ago. Like it was something that was, was, was still, I mean, that's how early we are in the space where the biggest companies, they have ML engineers, but they're working on the proprietary thing that they built you know, a decade ago because they've been doing ML for so long and we're just kind of opening up to the rest of the, you know, kind of our ecosystem of like, oh, all these ideas, like a feature store, like we call it a data platform, but that makes sense. It's actually a feature store. So it'll be really interesting to watch all that play out. Last thing, what's the tweet length takeaway, almost like a TLDR, that someone should take away from this podcast? Interesting. A tweet length takeaway. Can I do two? Yes. Can I do Let's two tweets? Yeah. <laughs> I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll do a, I'll do a tweet <laughs> thread. Okay, yeah, tweet thread. So I'd say for those in the application space, 
that are kind of using MLOps tools that are you know benefiting from them or just benefiting from ML, chances are someone's tried what you're doing before. Find them and talk to them and learn from them. And you don't have to do everything yourself. That would be for the application space. And then I'd say for MLOps services or people creating platforms or point solutions, user empathy goes a long way. If you haven't done or tried to do what users are trying to do with your service or platform, acquiring new customers will be really difficult. So iterate, prototype, and learn as much as you can. I love that both of those things are very, uh, I guess, how to work in the space and less about like very specific things. Um, and I think that's kind of where where we should be at or how a lot of people in the space should be thinking. We're still on learning mode. We're still figuring out even just the basics. Every day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sam, it's been so amazing having you on. Thanks so much for answering my questions and chatting with me. I'll include some of the links that you talked about and there'll also be a link to your LinkedIn and anything else you share in the description. And yeah, thank you again so much. Well, thank you so much for having me. This is a lot of fun. So, 